John chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's market house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. This is the word of the Lord. In businesses and other organizations, uh, there's a term that's used to describe what happens when a business or an organization gradually starts doing more and more things outside of their original purpose, their original goals, their original mission. The term is mission creep. Mission creep is something that usually happens over time as many things, usually many good things, start to be added to the plate of daily activity. More and more things are done. Mission creep can lead to burnout because as an organization, you're doing more and more things than you originally intended to do or even had a passion to do. Or a business could simply lose sight of that original mission that got them started in the first place and that original passion and love for something that got them going in the first place. So they lose their way. They forget who they are. They get lost in all of the extra things they're doing now. Mission creep happens in churches too as they take on more and more Goals, activities, side missions of certain individuals, many of these things are good things, important things. But each organization, business, or church must eventually decide what they are going to focus on. Why? Why not keep adding more and more good missions? Because, well, resources are limited. Material, financial, people... The energy that people have to give toward a mission is limited. And that's why having a mission focus is important for any organization. It's good to know what you're all about and where you should focus your energies and resources. Mission creep can just drain the life out of you. So every once in a while, it's good to clean house, so to speak, and to remember what you're all about. Remember your mission, your primary focus and goal. Many individuals and families get excited this time of year when the weather starts to warm up. And one of the things people like to do is in the spring is to start spring cleaning. 
People might uh, empty out their closets, dig under their beds, first time in a long time, or vacuum the cracks of their couch after they collect the change that's fallen out of pockets, you know. Uh, you have a little more energy, maybe, because of the more sunlight. Uh, uh, feels The warmer air feels good. And sometimes you just realize that mission creeps happen in your own life, too, in your own family. Things you once thought were important just aren't anymore. Things you've been stepping over for weeks or years, uh, just uh, they need to go. It's time for them to be pitched or to be thrown out, to be uh, donated, recycled, whatever. It's time for the house to get in order, to get the house in order again, and to clean those places that don't normally get cleaned. It's, it's time to clean house. Well, the Christian liturgical season of Lent is a good time to think about cleaning our spiritual houses, too. It just also happens to coincide with the season of spring. Uh, it can be a time to look inward and evaluate those things that have crept into our lives and hearts, maybe some things that keep us or distract us from worshiping God or hearing God's will for our lives clearly. Maybe we've added so many things, even good things, that it's just distracting us from what's important. Or we've allowed junk to hang around the spiritual house a little too long that should have been thrown away a long time ago. Certain habits need to be changed, sin that needs to be challenged in our lives, and we need to focus on what we love most, what we say we love most. That is our mission. Sometimes we need to clean our spiritual houses because mission creep is burning us out as we're forgetting what's really important and what's real in life. We're forgetting who God has called us to be and what God is calling us to be all about. We've been living so long for someone else's mission, maybe. We forget the mission that God is calling us to. So Jesus came to clean house, not just our individual spiritual houses, but our, our house together, communally as a church, too. Our reading today can be a disturbing passage for some of you, especially if your only view of Jesus is meek and mild. Uh, in today's reading, he's rather passionate, outrageous even, zealous for the mission of God. People tend to forget that Jesus gets angry sometimes too. Well, he even judges. He has judgments about people and their chosen activities here. This year, Lent has taken us from the call of Jesus to repent and believe the good news because the kingdom of God is near, to the temptation of Jesus in the desert, to following Jesus on his journey to Jerusalem and to the cross and learning from him and learning what discipleship is all about. Now, this morning, we find Jesus in Jerusalem and at the temple. It's the stone temple that King Herod built for the Jews. Beautiful, magnificent, huge. The temple is the center of Jewish life, politics, religion, law, all gathered in, in one place. People traveled there on pilgrimage from all over for certain festivals and holidays from many nations. If God had an address on earth, it would have been in Jerusalem. It would have been at the temple, in the Holy of Holies, to be specific. But the meaning and place of the temple, and the place of the temple in Spiritual lives is about to change. Here, Jesus is preparing his followers for a big shift in thinking about God having a particular address here on earth. 
The Christian church will be understood not by having one place on earth where God lives and where he must be worshipped, but instead the Christian church as a place of worship will be found in homes of fellowship and hospitality all over the earth. The Christian church will be made of people who gather together and they will cross ethnic and racial barriers and national boundaries. Social and economic class won't get in the way either. The Holy Spirit will gather a diverse group of people together to participate in the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism and learn to serve and love one another in the name of Christ. God will not have one address, but many thousands of addresses as God's people gather together in Jesus Christ for worship. In Jesus, the sacrificial system is changing. Jesus is the only sacrifice that matters. In Jesus, divisions among people in worship was changing, shown most clearly when the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom at the crucifixion of Jesus on Good Friday. But This is a huge shift in thinking for the disciples and others in Jesus' day. Jesus comes to clean house, and he's, he's making a point about this. In John's Gospel, it's almost time for the Passover festival, it says, when Jesus enters Jerusalem and enters the temple for this temple cleansing incident. Verse 14 and following, it says, In the temple courts he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, And he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Now the sale of birds and beasts was a necessary thing when you have a sacrificial system that was in place in the temple like that. People needed to get their animals from somewhere, especially if you traveled from far, far away. You didn't bring the herd with you uh, to Jerusalem. So you needed to buy some animals. And exchanging money from the local currency, wherever their local currency was from, to the temple currency was to ensure the quality, the purity of the coinage that would go into the temple treasury, and of course to make sure there were no pagan symbols on that coin, on those coins. If if you're like me, though, you might be thinking that those people were corrupt, were selling animals and exchanging money. But it's not these activities that Jesus has a problem with. He has a problem with where all of this is taking place. In the temple courts. Moreover, this is the area of the temple where the Gentiles would come to worship God and pray. This was the place of prayer for the nations. And they were being crowded out by the beasts and the bankers. Mission creep was happening in the temple. And it was having a very negative effect. Now, Jesus doesn't have a problem with the merchants and the bankers per se, and neither did he have a problem with what they were doing. Like I said, it's kind of a necessary thing when you have a sacrificial system like this. He did have a problem with where it was all going down, though. A certain group of people were being excluded from worship. And then the disciples would remember the scripture verse in Psalm 69, verse 9, they attributed to Jesus, zeal for your house will consume me. Also, this morning, we need to know and understand what's going on here is that Jesus is saying something about himself, too. 
not just about a simple faux pas or mission creep or something that's going on in the temple, but he's declaring something about himself in this passage. Driving out the merchants and money changers was only the inciting incident for the conversation that was about to take place. Take a look at verses 18 and 19. It says, The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Prove you have authority to do this, they asked Jesus. Show us that you're some kind of prophet or something. Jesus tells them about destroying the temple, raising it in three days. But the temple, verse 21, the temple he had spoken of was his body. He was talking about his body, his death, his resurrection. We're told the disciples only got this after the resurrection. When they believed, they finally believed the scriptures, and they believed the words that Jesus told them. But that day at the temple, no one got it. No one understood. How could they? How could they? What was Jesus saying about himself, though? See, just before our reading today, Jesus had attended a wedding. And when the wine ran out, he performed his first miracle in turning the water into wine. The water, that is, that was in the stone purification jars. Turned it into wine, the best wine, new wine. In other words, Jesus changed what was used for purification. And now he enters the stone temple, a place of sacrifice, and what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am the temple now. I am the temple now. Destroy this temple. It'll be raised again in three days. So Jesus, through his death and resurrection, will be the place of communing with the Father, the way to connect with God for all God's people everywhere. In Cana and at the temple, Jesus replaces and he fulfills. He replaces and he fulfills. He replaces the water with the wine. He replaces and he fulfills. He's zealous about breaking down barriers that exclude people and that keep them from worshiping. To the Samaritan woman, just a couple chapters further in John chapter 4, he says, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Jerusalem won't be that special place where God has an address anymore. True worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. John 4, 21 to 23 See, this is revolutionary thinking for the disciples. The whole idea of worship and sacrifice are changing in Jesus. Jesus is replacing and fulfilling the purification rituals and the temple sacrificial system. And that's what these accounts in the Gospel of John are all about, showing us how Jesus replaces and fulfills those Old Testament symbols. Our reading goes on to conclude in saying in verse 23, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus did not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need the testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. He continued to perform signs and wonders, and people believed, but Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. He knows how fickle the human heart and human emotions are, can be. He knew what was in each person. 
which I think is yet another place in Scripture that shows us Jesus as divine, Jesus being God. He has this divine knowledge here. Only God knows what's in each person. Here Jesus knows what's in each person. You see, Jesus came to disrupt and deconstruct what we tend to do religiously, that is, habitually or out of habit. He doesn't want a shrine or a church to be built over the tomb as if uh, over his tomb, as if God is only there and should be worshipped in that place. Rather, he wants a church to be built in changed hearts and lives that embrace him as Mary did in the garden on resurrection morning. He came to the place where politics, religion, and law were inseparable. And he judged the people there. He formed judgments about their behavior and their activities, their lifestyles, their ways of worship. He spoke against the powers and the forces that kept people from worshiping God. Sure, he formed a whip to drive out the animals, but it wasn't the force of the whip that changed things. It was the force of the truth that came from his words. They cut to the heart. People knew it, and they could recognize that he spoke the truth. Mission creep was probably obvious to everyone. He just chose to ignore it, didn't do anything about it. You see, it's interesting, isn't it, that nobody really tends to object to what Jesus did. They just ask for a sign. No one calls for the police. No one calls for him to be arrested right there on the spot, as you might imagine might would happen, maybe would happen. No one, no one calls for that. They knew he was right. Something needed to change. The house needs cleaning. And I think they all knew it. What if Jesus came to our church today? Would he praise us for what we're doing? Or would he fashion whips out of those crimson ropes we use to block off chairs sometimes? This passage raises a lot of questions for me in regards to how we might apply it today. Who's being crowded out of our worship? Any particular people or people group? Are seekers, doubters, questioners welcome here? Are they welcome to come and learn to worship? Is it okay for people to sit and learn and ask questions for a while before they're pressured to commit? Or to expect them to have perfect lives that none of us have? On a personal level, what things have gotten in the way of your relationship with God and Jesus Christ? What's keeping you from spending that quality time with God and in reading his word, the Bible? What sort of habits have you gotten into that work against you connecting with God on a daily basis? In other words, what's more important? What's become more important in your life? What sin is jamming the signal, breaking the connection, distorting your understanding of who God is? Does your spiritual house need cleaning today? What does that look like this Lent season, Lenten season, this week? Today, what might that look like for you? Jesus came to disrupt, to deconstruct the sin in our lives. 
so that we might have life to the full in him. Through Christ is how we find purification. Through his sacrifice and his death is where we find atonement for sin. Through resurrection and through resurrected life in him is where we find victorious Christian living today. So may Jesus be the foundation and point of connection and communion with the one and true living God of the universe. And may zeal for our spiritual houses and the church house consume us so that we may be on fire for the mission of God in the world as God uses us to bring good news of salvation to a lost and hurting world. May it be so. Let us pray. Loving God, would you speak to us this morning? Would you reveal to us those places in our soul that need to be cleaned out? Maybe because of sin. Maybe because of clutter and all the busyness and so many good things we have going on in our lives. This Lent, refocus our attention, Lord our devotion, our hearts upon you and your word. We know Jesus has not come to condemn, but to redeem and to save. We pray that that redemption would happen within ourselves and in our own lives. That change that needs to happen would happen. That that life that needs to grow or sprout, maybe even for the first time this morning, would happen. Fill us with your love and grace that life and joy and peace would overflow from us into our world, through our neighborhoods, to our friends and family. And then, Lord, may you be glorified, may you be praised and adored. For it is in your name, Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit is one God, now and evermore. Amen.